Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. This is podcast number 290 of Guys Guys Radio. I know in one of our promos today, we put 289, but it's actually 289 was uh, our last one with uh, Kimberly Meredith, where we did the live healing on air. So we're here on Sunday edition of Guys Guys Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be with you again. We have a special guest this evening, Dr. Jennifer B. Rhodes, PhD, is going to be here, and we're going to talk about relationships and dating and why relationships matter. And she's got a new book we're going to talk about, and uh, it should be fantastic. So let's get started with talking about a little bit what's going on. This is Guys Guys Radio, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. That's right. That's us here on Guys Guys Radio. When men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. You know, the name of the show is Guys Guys Radio, but it's not like the man show, even though it's for guys and it's for women who who dig the guys that they hang with. But it's not about beer and booze and boobs and football. We do cover some of that stuff. We like that stuff, but it's also about being the best man you can be, being the best person you can be and contributing and sharing and being a part of raising the consciousness in our crazy, sometimes dysfunctional world. So what's going on here? We're broadcasting live from New York City. Today was, uh, is the June 10th, and we had uh, another sketchy weather, another gray Sunday. I've been keeping track of Sundays because my son is in uh, T-ball, and today was his last game. And literally every single Sunday except one throughout the season has been either rained out drizzly, cloudy, cold. It was sunny and nice once, but the kids showed up and it's for T-ball. They're five years old. And, uh, you know, you hit the ball, one kid hits the ball off the tee and then all the kids on the other team run to the ball and you see how they kind of develop over the season. It's a lot of fun. And today, finally, my, you know, my son, he, he, he likes to run around a lot. So I signed him up for soccer for the fall. And baseball is more of a cerebral kind of sport. You have to is strategy into it. You have to have patience. It's kind of boring for kids that age. So I was talking to him about it, and he said, yeah, it's kind of bo-. I said, what do you think? He's like, it's a little boring. He didn't want to go today. I said, listen, it's the last, last, last week. Let's go. So we went, and uh, it was good because he had his best outing. He uh, hit the ball nicely three times, picked up the balls, were hit to him, threw to first base, did a good job there, paid attention, didn't dig a play around in the sand too much. And uh, at the end, they gave uh, all the kids a little trophy. It had his name on it, so he was thrilled with that, and he felt really good that he got some recognition and uh, that uh, he did a good job and had some fun. So we uh, we like that. Um, we do have to deal with, uh, and here in New York, the MTA, the subway system and the bus system on weekends is it's either you can't take a downtown local on the 8th Avenue line or the, you, well, we take the B and the C, but you can't take either of those either uptown or downtown. Just about every Sunday, you want to wait for a bus. That means like 15 minutes. And it's just, we, we managed to catch a C from 116th down to 79th Street. And we had to, because it was another 10 minutes or so for a bus, cross down bus, we ended up walking all the way from Central Park West over to Riverside. There's a beautiful park there on the water near the boat basin. And, uh, but that's how it is getting around in New York. It's like third world country now, particularly on the weekends. This guy, Andy Byford, though, who they brought in, who worked on the London Underground, I think he's going to do a great job. He's already put some plans in place. They're going to focus a, a lot on uh, getting uh, 
handicapped and elevator service in the main stations, getting them fixed. As I've mentioned previous on the show, it's a big bugaboo of mine that, uh, you know, those elevators, a lot of times if you have a stroller or you're old and have a, you know, uh, you know, difficulties getting around the, the, the many times the elevators don't work or people go to the bathroom in them or whatever. And it's just, and they're dirty and filthy and they stink. And it shouldn't be that way here in New York City. We're like the capital of the world in so many ways. We've got to keep that cleaned up. So looking forward to that happening. Uh, let's see what's happening in our world, in our guys, guys world. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned the weather. June 21st is coming up. Today's June 10th. It's actually, you know, we really haven't had much of a spring. And now we're almost at where summer solstice is, where, you know, it stays lighter at night. It stays light till about uh, past eight o'clock or so. It's light out, still light out now, but the longest days of the year are coming up and then it starts to go the other way before summer even starts. So, uh, irony there. What else? Okay. We had a, uh, triple crown win- winner. And of course, like everything else in our world today, we had some, uh, uh, some type of controversy justified one. So he won, that means this horse won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont. And, uh, I have been to the Preakness, which is a lot of fun, which is down in Maryland, and you actually can party in the infield, and the horses run around you. I saw Affirmed way back in the, I don't know if it was the late 70s or early 80s, Affirmed and Alidar had this rivalry, so Affirmed won that. And uh, then I got to go to the Belmont Stakes uh, for a party with Playboy magazine when I was uh, working on some uh, advertising for Stolich Naya about 15 years or so. Silver Charm was the horse. He lost by a nose in the uh, Belmont stakes. So he did not get the triple trip crown, but it's amazing uh, when you see these horses and how they're treated. They're such divas and everything. It's a, and they're gorgeous animals and they're treated like the superstars they are. But uh, the controversy is that um, some of the other owners of the horses are saying another horse owned by the same uh, owner who owns justified had his other horse go out and kind of uh, do work like a block, do some blocking so kind of blocked out some of the other horses for, for, uh, for being able to pass justify. So now they're talking about that, but interesting. Uh, so if you want to take a look at the race, you can find it online and see what happens there. But I think this is something that's going to be talked about a little bit for the next couple of days on that, because uh, you know what? I, I hope it, I hope it hasn't come to that where you're using two horses to get one, to get one to win, but whatever, we'll see. Golden State Warriors swept. We've been talking about basketball. Uh, NBA is over now. Golden State Warriors swept LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Now, of course, after the after the fourth game, LeBron James shows up at the press conference with a soft cast on his wrists, claiming that he had a broken hand for three games. And then I read it was a contusion. So who knows? But I didn't really care for the way he left the court. He he you know he did a little you know hand you know knuckle to knuckle uh and that's it but he didn't go over and really congratulate the warriors he he just walked right to the locker room after the game so you know for somebody of his stature i was hoping for more and i really think the golden state warriors they play like a team plays they move the ball around they uh they don't uh, charge they don't take extra steps they hit a lot of threes they play defense they're constantly on the move they fast break literally the entire game and they're a juggernaut, and they're a dynasty and one of the greatest teams I've ever seen on the basketball court. So congrats to them. What else do we have? Uh, tonight we've got the uh, final episode of Billions right after our show, so I won't keep everybody till 9 o'clock. And uh, 
Then my favorite show is coming back, Ray Donovan, in a few weeks, and that will uh, take place in New York this season. Instead of L.A., it's going to take place in New York. I'm not going to get into Trump and the G7 and the trip to Singapore to talk to uh, Kim Jong-un for the uh, summit there because I think we've touched on that and we just have to cross our fingers and hope for the best. The only thing I can mention about our president that I read this weird article about him today is that apparently he tears up when he, he works on stuff, he tears up his, his uh, some of the documents and notes into little pieces, little, tiny little pieces, and then throws them out. And they actually have people who work for the government who come in then and they collect all of those little pieces of paper. And then they have to, like a jigsaw puzzle, put it back together and tape them together because they have to be preserved as a presidential records. Just another kooky thing that <laughs> we're experiencing with a, probably the oddest president we've ever had. So, uh, Let's finger cross that something happens uh, positively in Singapore. I, I think it's just going to be ceremonial. Uh, but you know what? When people talk, it's a, usually a good thing. Get people talking because if they're not talking, nothing's going to get accomplished. So let's see how it goes there. Now, my guy's guy of the week real quickly. Um, a, a merchant, actually. This guy's name is Pemba Purbu. I bought, uh, I had my guest from the other night said, you know, copper, drink out of a copper, copper cups and stuff. And copper has a lot of healing, uh, healing properties. So if you put water and you leave it for like eight hours in a copper cup, cup there's a lot of studies that claim that it, uh, and some studies that say it doesn't, say that it will positively charge the water. It can reduce inflammation, bolster brain functioning, has anti-microbial uh, micro, uh, abilities, anti-cancer, um, produces new cells, cleans the water, kills the bacteria. And, you know, copper, copper cups were used in... Uh, most famously in this country for the, the Moscow mule, the vodka drink back in like the fifties and the forties. Um, and now it's coming back. And so I got a couple of copper buck cups, but uh, point of the story is I bought a copper bracelet, very inexpensive, less than 15 bucks. And it's beautiful because copper also seeps into your skin and it's very good for you. That, that particular metal, it's not like other heavy metals is good for you for the same properties that I just read about and what it does to water. And if you believe it, so the person who sent this out to me uh, that I ordered on Amazon, Healing Lama, and this is the guy's guy of the week because this is how you do business, Healing Lama Buddhist Shop. And they sent the, the pure Tibetan copper bracelet, 100% high gauge, very nice piece, handmade in Nepal. And they sent it to me in a nice canvas type of little bag. And then it was a letter that's stamped and hand signed. Listen to this. Namaste. My name is Pembra Purbu, and I would like to take this opportunity to express my appreciation for purchasing from our Healing Lama shop. All items we sell are personally selected by Lama Dorje Yampa of Tashi Day Buddhist Monastery. And then it goes on and on. It talks about, um, you know, the, the product itself. It's, then it has a stamp on there, hand-signed Pemba Purbu. That's a really nice way to do business. So the website is healinglama.com. They got a lot of nice stuff up there. And even the paper they sent me the note on is printed in tree-free, handcrafted Lokta paper. Amazing. That's how you do business and develop relationships. So, Pemba, you are the guy's guy of the week. Okay, let's take a quick break. It's 8-12, and then I'll bring our special guest on, um, Dr. Jennifer Rhodes. You're listening to the Guy's Guy Radio. 
All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you back to the show. We've got a fantastic guest. I've met her in person, which is the first time I've met one of my guests in person before the show, which I thought was really cool. She suggested that, and we had uh, a coffee. Um, her name is Jennifer Rhodes. P- she's a uh, uh, PhD, a PSYD, actually, and uh, California PSY 232201, New York State. Licensed forensic psychologist and relationship expert. She provides forensic consultation to individuals and attorneys involved in family court matters. In addition to a private practice, she founded, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight, Rapport Relationships in 2013, where she works exclusively with creative entrepreneurs and other creative professionals. She's very sought after, uh, expert in relationships. Uh, she's all over the media. And uh, she's very articulate, and she's got, I think, a very insightful uh, process and insightful uh, insights, if you will, as to what's going on and how to help people in today's crazy, fast-paced world in terms of getting, uh, getting out there and uh, really making relationships flow the way they can flow. And she's got a book coming out uh, relationships matter. So let's bring her on right now, Dr. Jennifer Rhodes. Hi, Robert. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're welcome. I have so much information on you. I have to go through so many questions. I'm overprepared, so bear with me. Um, Not a problem. So let me ask some of the things that I think that our listeners might want to learn about you. Uh, We'll get to your book in a moment, but What's the? How did you kind of make the bridge between uh, relationships, between forensic process and the learnings you have there, and then dating and relationship kind of coaching? Yeah. So back uh, 15 years ago, when I started my psychology training, I've always been focused on relationships. Back then, it was on um, parent-child relationships and teacher-child relationships. Um, and kind of as I went through my training, I started to get interested in doing relationship consultation for our court system. So a lot of people, unless you've had the horrible experience of going through a divorce or child custody dispute of your own, don't realize that the courts oftentimes order um, relationship evaluations. So I did that work um, in private practice for um, a number of years um, and was working with high-conflict divorce in California and started to get a little burnt out from that work uh, and wanted to reinvent my skill set and kind of help people prevent some of the things I was seeing in my divorce practice. Okay, fantastic. Um, so what's, what, what's going on? Give us kind of a 3,000-foot view of what's happening in the d- dating world. And also, if you could, uh, touch on you spent time in the, on the West Coast and the East Coast. Give us kind of a macro view, and then how do you see kind of some of the differences in the, the dating dynamics today on the coasts? Yeah, I like to tell my clients that dating is definitely city-specific, meaning that each city has its own dating culture. But I think in general, no matter if you're on the West Coast or you're on the East Coast, I think people are just struggling all over uh, the United States. Uh, I think that it's becoming – You know, as we have more and more options that are coming from online dating, people are just having a harder time focusing on what it is that they really want and having a hard time making commitments. So on the West Coast, that kind of looks more like a Peter Pan syndrome. I have a lot of female clients in San Francisco that complain 
that the men have a Peter Pan syndrome and that there's no pressure to settle down and get married. And then in New York, I just, you know, hear that people, it's more of a fear of commitments. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really being fueled by the fact that we really just have way more options than we ever have before. And no one has really taught people how to um, go through those options in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, Also, something very interesting is that you work, uh, part of your rapport team, you work a lot with uh, creatives, creative individuals. And I come from the world of advertising and marketing, spent many years at ad agencies working as a as kind of the account guy on a, a lot of high high image creative accounts and highly creative accounts where very top level uh, creatives worked on them and very interesting people to work with and uh, what an experience and I'm actually glad that I wasn't on the creative side I'm glad I was on kind of the business side because you get to see everything and it's really tough to be a creative in the advertising world particularly today with everything so data driven. But why did you choose uh, working with creatives? I think that's a fantastic, interesting choice. Yeah, I don't know if that was necessarily a conscious choice. I, you know, my family has been in art education for many decades, and I grew up around creatives. I grew up around graphic designers and people in advertising. And I think that as I launched my business starting in 2013, it just was the nature of the type of client who is attracted to working with me. And then all of a sudden I realized that everyone uh, in my practice was inter- either stuck in a profession that wasn't a good fit because they were actually really a creative personality or, you know, were mm-hmm. actively in the creative profession, but usually interacting with people who were not in a creative industry and, um, so I think it was just kind of a nature of who showed up and then realizing that that was a good fit for okay. my now, background. When, when you work with them, do you find, um, and, it, you know, I, I having worked on the other side, uh, the table from a lot of them, and then also working with them, uh, you have to really handle how you deal with creatives very specifically, in my opinion. Um, you have to give them, they want direction but they don't want too much direction. So you have to give them kind of a roadmap and give them a lot of room to um, express themselves within that roadmap, but they, they want a strategy. They want to know specifics so they can do their thing. When it comes to love, uh, how do you work with creatives? Uh, is it different than working with non-creative people? It can most definitely be very different. I think um, creatives that come who are very grounded in who they are and are choosing work that's actually a good fit for them do better and work, you know, with me much more quickly than someone who might be a creative personality stuck in a job that's not a good fit for them. Um, Our culture, you know, even in New York, um, really kind of discourages people from going into a creative um, right. industry. So I think that uh, people usually come to me when they're in that transition, they've been stuck and not realize they want to, you know, be more authentically who they are. And I think the process that I take clients through, which is um, an assessment process that is about collecting data so that they can actually see what their strengths and weaknesses are rather than them telling me what they think is going on is usually the way that we kind of get through those roadblocks. Got it. And you have a you have the rapport report, which identifies yes. roadblocks to relationship success. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, doctor, and what are the most frequent roadblocks that you seem to identify? 
Yeah, so the report report, it's, um, we usually get that done in about 30 days. It's really like a 360-degree assessment of everything going on in your personal life. So we'll do some paper and pencil measures. I will call people you've been on dates with in the past to ask for feedback about what they think your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, we'll observe you in a mock date. We will, you know, set up situations to kind of observe you in a social setting. Um, we will collect all the data that we need to um, in order to kind of understand kind of who you are and kind of what your strengths are. And then we sit down and we go through a feedback session. And usually the feedback session is more than just me giving feedback to a client. Um, and that process you know, can be really validating in terms that some people have really good insight and this just validates what they've been thinking. And then for others, um, they don't realize how much their own ego is getting in the way of what it is that they want. So I would say in my, especially my male clients in New York City, that the biggest roadblock would be the ego and the sense of entitlement that because they are either financially successful or they're educationally successful, that they deserve to have a certain kind of woman without realizing that you need to have certain relationship skills in order to attract that high-value woman. So it becomes a process of us working kind of with their personality and their ego Mm -hmm. to help them grow and develop. Now, now a lot of times with, uh, you know, everybody uh, who's dating out there, they've had some experience, if not 100% of experience, working with technology and online dating and websites and apps and all of that. And it can get out of hand if it's not managed uh, smartly, if you will. And, you know, what kind of what I found is if you're going to go out there and uh, date, you need to know who you are, you know, what you want and what you have to offer. You have to be self-aware. And a lot of people, they jump online and they just start dating and they meet tons of people and then they delete people and ghost and just they, they figure it out along the way. And a lot of times they're, you know, trashing a lot of people's hearts along the, while they're doing that. And a lot of times they're unrealistic, as you had mentioned, like what, you know, a lot of guys who they want an Instagram model, but they're really, you know, sitting at home on the couch, drinking beer or playing video games. So how do you, how do you guide your uh, clients in terms of their uh, reliance and sometimes over-reliance on technology and online dating? Yeah, I think that that definitely comes into my coaching style. I am very no-nonsense. So if I have a client who is really pushing back, then I will ask them to show me. If you think that you can go out and pick up the supermodel with the PhD at, you know, one of the, you know, top, you know, bars in New York City, and you think I'm giving you feedback that's wrong, then I'm going to ask you to go show me that you can do that. And 9.82% of the time, we go try to do that, and it doesn't happen. Um, And it doesn't happen because there's a complete lack of self-awareness. But what I would do in that situation sometimes is that I will go to those locations and talk to those women ahead of time um, and just, you know, kind of, you know, get to know them a little bit so that when I afterwards, when when the client fails, because they usually do, we can go over and they give them feedback. The women will give them feedback. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do is trying to set up situations where they get real feedback because what happens with online dating is that you can live in your own head and your own fantasy and never get real feedback about what is going on because you're not interacting in person with people. Um, 
another thing that uh, you kind of write about is uh, millennial loneliness. Uh, I was looking through it on the website, and I thought that was a very interesting topic, and you have a, uh, a unique and I think a very insightful take on that. Tell us about why millennials are so lonely. You know, it's I've definitely seen a huge increase in anxiety, especially in the last six months, and we can talk a little bit about Me Too um, and kind of what's been um, – you know, increasing anxiety. But I mean, over the past, I would say three or four years, I've definitely had younger clients approaching, uh, approaching me just with the concept of being lonely, both in not having high quality friendships, struggling with their work, and then also dealing with their dating life. And I think for the first time, people, you know, if you look at the way people are building their careers now, it's not like you're finding one job after college and you're staying there. So your group of friends from work are constantly changing. I don't think millennials stay at a job more than two to three years early mm-hmm. in their career. So they're constantly changing jobs. Uh, many of them are freelancing. And so, you know, going on a solopreneur kind of career track, which is increasing in popularity, is lonely. Um, and then they've, you know, this is the first generation that has had their cell phones and social media since they were young, and many mm-hmm. of them simply do not have the skills to take things from like an off uh, online situation or social media situation to actually go build connections in the real world. And so it's a lack of a skill that they're having, and so they're coming in asking for help to learn those skills. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. I. Uh... I work with uh, my producer's a millennial, and he's fantastic, and he does a great job. Um, but I have to get him to get him. I, I get him out for beers now and then, uh, but otherwise, text. Forget you know, it's some email to exchange information. It has to be exchanged. He never writes back. I'll just send him the email, and uh, m- mostly it's texting. And uh, it seems like that generation, they're that's what they do. It's texting. There's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with that because it's just that's how it goes, and it's fast. But when yeah, it comes to dating, not, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah when know, it comes it to be. dating and all you're doing is texting, I can't tell you how much right. <laughs> I feel like I get paid to interpret people's text messages now because I will have, you know, a millennial guy come to me and say, well, she's just not interested. And I'll look at the text message exchange and I say, no, she's waiting for you to take the lead. She's trying to respect right your masculinity by, you know, letting you take the lead and you haven't asked her out on a date. And so then mm-hmm. it becomes this conversation of why do I have to do that or why can't she ask me or and oh, this confusion conf- confusion about like what is going on and then the same thing for millennial women um, often misinterpret text messages and so a lot of the miscommunication could be resolved if someone actually just picked up the phone for ten seconds to you know try to make yeah. plans. Yeah, they, so. they have a problem with the phone I, I, for some reason and uh, I like to. You know, when I was dating, using online for dating, I would have a quick exchange uh, and then share my information and hopefully get the information back from the person I wanted to meet. And then a quick phone call to exchange different type of energy through the voice and then meet for a short date. And uh, it seemed to work pretty well. But I know a lot of people, I, I will say this, though, when I met my wife, she didn't want to talk on the phone. She said, let's just meet. And we did. And now we're married. So I guess you have to break your own rules. But uh <laughs> I think for a lot of people, you know, the 
the, the hearing a voice to me makes makes a difference. And ultimately, your connection is going to be made face to face, not through texting, not through email, not through the, an app. Now, I agree with you. And actually, the French have done a lot of um, psychological research on this, that women actually can, can tell sexual compatibility through hearing a voice. So women should, mm-hmm. you know, be insisting on you know, a phone call just as part of their screening screening process. Um, but how I think they, in the same age, I think that? it's just like neuropsychologically the way that, um, you know, women just have um, a better skill area in terms of assessing, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, sound. Um, okay. And so I think it's I just it. one of those biological things that, you know, as what, you know, women biologically are supposed to be screening for resources. And so this, right. you know, the sound of someone, a man's voice um, can convey a lot of information. Um, and so I think women just evolutionarily have, um, you know, developed the skill of being mm-hmm. able to tell if there's sure. compatibility through the sound of the voice. Um, but in this day and age, you know, if you want to stand out it, as a man, it's not, it's easy. You just make a phone call because you've been the only one and like 90 <laughs> people so who have actually picked up the phone to make a phone call and automatically you go to the top of her priority list. It's not, it's not that right. difficult. And right then now, if you have you know. a, a nice voice or, or, you know, they pick up on your energy uh, through the sound, it's, you know, you're one step closer to, to, to the goal of uh, making a real connection. So, exactly. uh, do you, uh, Dr. Rhodes, do you find um, a difference when you're dealing with dating issues? And we talked about millennials. Um, how about like GX, Gen, Gen X, Gen Y, boomers? Uh, do you, do you compartmentalize each one or they uh, have some overlap or a G, GN and uh, G, excuse me, GX and GY, are they very similar? Or how do you kind of parse all of that out, or do you? You know, I think there's a lot of overlap. One of the things that I enjoy about working with millennial clients uh, is that there is this value of authenticity that some of my older yeah. clients um, don't necessarily value as highly. So millennials really want to have an authentic experience so it becomes easier to coach them in a direction of you know having in real life experiences for some of my you know clients and i would say my male clients over the age of 50 who have been divorced you know once before and they're entering back into the the dating scene um, it's kind of you know what was popular 20 years ago in terms of the pickup artist movement and things like that it's kind of the way that they are choosing to date in their 50s or whatever worked for them in their 20s is kind of how they're choosing to date um, in their 50s without realizing that, you know, younger women just don't appreciate those kinds of tactics um, at this point in time. So it's a little bit more educational for my Mm -hmm. older clients, and they have to go out and kind of experience, you know, um, the way, you know, dating is now. Um, But I would say – in general, if people have lived their life in a way that's very true to who they are, the whole dating process is easier. Um, if they've lived their life and have been hiding who they are or have been in a career that's not a good fit or they've you know, gone off in one direction when they should have gone someplace else, it doesn't matter how old they are. There's just a lot of personal growth work that has to be done before uh, okay. dating becomes easy. Let's uh, talk about your book. You have a book coming out, and uh, I read all about it. Tell us, uh, you know, what was the inspiration 
uh, what's the message, um, the name, where the, when people will be able to buy it, et cetera. Yeah, so the book title is called Relationships Matter Most. Um, it should be coming out uh, in the beginning of 2019. Um, but the inspiration from the book really came from uh, my work with millennial clients, both my male and female clients. When I started seeing a shift, there was a, a book written by Rebecca Traster that came out in 2016 called All the Single Women and was talking about how women were starting to um, politically gain a lot of power. And so we now we're not on the other side of now Me Too and I started watching an increase in my male clients coming in, having difficulties communicating with women out of fear, and my female clients being incredibly aggressive to the point of being almost inappropriate with um, male clients or, or men that they were coming out or with men that were just in their life. And so there was like a shift going on in the power dynamics and it just seemed like everyone was struggling with that and so the book really is much more about why we need to respect all relationships in our life how can we better communicate and how do we use all of our you know relationships including the ones in our work life to kind of you know help us in all aspects of our life um and so i would say that was mostly the inspiration the you mentioned also about it that it's a uh the key to using your personal life to leverage your career success. Is that, that part of the book also? Yeah, it's a, and that part is definitely geared more towards the millennial clients. And it's I'm hearing a lot of, from my clients that are in their 20s that so they're just choosing not to date at all. So right. I think out of their frustration um, with you know, just social communication, that they are just opting out rather than seeing all of these as ex- – all of um, dating as potential experiences that's going to help you later in life and not just your personal life. I never think it's a good idea for people to completely stop dating for long, long periods of time. Um, I think it's a waste of time. Um, And I think it's damaging, especially for women to, you know, put, you know, put so much focus on your career and then only start seriously dating at 30. And then you have no idea what it is that you're looking Right. Uh, looking for um, so you know a topic that everybody's been talking about this past week is we had uh, two celebrities uh, take their life Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain um, as a psychologist what do you make of uh, that any connection to kind of overall what's going on in our society now these are, are these just uh, you know random instances or are they is there any connection there to, uh, how do you how do you view something like that yeah, so first of all, they're both, you know, very sad and sudden losses. Right. Um, I think that with Kate Spade, um, I think if you look at the statistics, we're definitely seeing an actual significant increase in female suicides in her age group. So she was 55, um, and they're saying between 45 and 65. Um, and I, I, I think that also has to do a lot with um, – women's hormones, whether or not there's a previous history of bipolar disorder um, and just um, not really providing enough support for uh, creative entrepreneurs in general. Um, I don't know, and, you know, with regard to her specifically, if there, you know, is a confirmed history of, you know, having 
significant issues in the past. I know people are talking mm-hmm. about depression. Um, but, you know, in my experience, is, you know, suicide is never out of the blue. A lot of people will put out um, kind of, they will start talking about depressing topics or they will be trying to engage with people to see if someone picks up that something is really wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that Anthony Bourdain was doing that. I think if you watched you know, some episodes of his shows in the past, you know, couple of years, there was definitely a shift. And I think when you are a celebrity at the top of your game, people think that you have everything. But, you know, the dark side of having fame and money is that it can be incredibly lonely and we forgot to reach out um, mm-hmm. to people. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, these are just, you know, really horrible reminders that all of our relationships really do matter. And just because someone, and you know, looks like they're living their best life doesn't mean that they actually, they right. actually are. Right. Yeah. Because you get, uh, you know, on social media, you get all types of responses. And you know, to me, we have to have uh, empathy for these people and sympathy and empathy because they may have been very successful, but you don't know what type of demons they have or what type of chemicals are going on in their body to, to, to trigger their feelings of depression or suicidal thoughts. You take Kate Spade, you know, she came here from, I think the Midwest started this uh, handbag, very simple handbags that were fun and whimsical and uh, took off and uh, made millions even though her company now, uh, even though it's been sold twice, I think is like worth billions now. But mm-hmm. you know, she did fantastic and beautiful, beautiful product too. And then Anthony Bourdain, a lot of people say, "Well, this guy had the best job in the world," and I guess he kind of traveled every place you would want to travel, and he ate everything you'd want and drank everything you'd want to eat or drink. Yet that he didn't want to, I guess, do it again or whatever. But something, you know, you can't trash these people. Uh, even though, and he had, you know, he had an 11 year old girl and I think Kate Spade might've had kids too. Um, yeah. you can't, we don't know what goes on. It's like, it's a, it's very sad. And, um, I, I, I don't know what to say. That's why I'm asking for, you know, any, any yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think it's also both of them. I would put in the creative entrepreneurial, um, kind of business set and we do not provide enough support to creative professionals in general, but we also don't provide enough support to entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, even if you do go to, you know, traditional talk therapy in New York City, that's often not enough support for someone who is truly entrepreneurial. You usually need an entire team of wellness professionals. And so, you know, I think that our mental health system needs to change. I think in, you know, Kate Spade's business, you know, up until, you know, this year, it would have probably been detrimental to her brand to publicly come out and talk about, you know, having mental health difficulties because right. her brand was so happy right. and we couldn't do that. Exactly. Um, um, and so I think Anthony Bourdain, you know, had a little bit more freedom, but certainly when you're, you know, you're going out and you're talking to other cultures and you're talking to other people, you know, it's, he did so many wonderful things, but I also think we took for granted the motivation behind why you would want to do that. And sometimes that there are signs of depression that are completely, completely missed. And a lot of people that I've known or clients I've worked with who have you know, been really depressive tried to manage their depressive symptoms by trying to connect with other people, and that's not enough, and um, you, you miss the signs. Got it. Um 
I guess we have to talk about Me Too because it is something very pertinent to what's going on. And I know everybody's talked to, to, to death, but I think one of the things that men need to do is they have to put on their listening cap uh, because this just a lot of guys, as you say, they have fear when it comes to dating. And Me Too probably has uh, quadrupled that fear or increase it exponentially because now they think they're going to get accused of all types of things. And it's all driven by a lot of guys in power, uh, some of their bad behavior and not every guy is terrible though. Uh, you know, studies have shown that like one third of women have reported me Too moments. Another third have not reported their me Too moments. And then there's another third who maybe haven't had any, um, but it's still, that's an overwhelming majority of people, women who've uh, run into this bad stuff. So now you have guys, and if you're a good guy, uh, what do you do? Because now here's like another thing on top of everything else when it comes to uh, dating anxiety. Yeah, I, I've been having a, a whole slew of new referrals related to a new onset of social anxiety relating to dating. And the first thing that I tell my male clients is, you know, what pe- women are reporting in Me Too is nothing new. The rates mm-hmm. of a, a woman experiencing sexual assault or sexual harassment in this country are almost 50%. So mm-hmm. just because we're talking about it now doesn't mean women didn't have these experiences beforehand. Exactly. Um, we're just talking about it. What is causing the anxiety is that we're just not talking about what to do about it now. And I think that the way whenever there's increased anxiety, the natural response is avoidance. So I think in New York City, which used to be a city where, you know, men could border on being aggressive, you know, in terms of, you know, walking up and talking to women. Mm -hmm. I think now you go out and you just see like high levels of avoidance um, and no one knows what to do and I think that it just comes down to keeping it classy you can go and talk to people and be normal Um, you don't have to have some ridiculous pickup line you just have to stop and get out of your head and listen to what her response is and you know anxiety just makes you selfish and so if you have anxiety you're going to go out and misinterpret everything that's going on in a social situation. I agree. Um, so I just I really encourage anyone who's feeling anxious to seek out professional assistance because your perceptions are going to be off. But this is also a huge opportunity for great men to step up into yes. a leadership role. And I'm Thank not yes. seeing that yet. And mm-hmm. it's um, it's really, you know, women in the workplaces in and social settings need the good men to step up and be a role model to other other men. Right. Um, you know, dating dating should be a fun sport, and uh, something to be said for romance. When all the romance gets squeezed out of it, and I think a lot of it with online dating, that everybody's just dating. It's a numbers game, and a lot of the romance has been squeezed out of it, and a lot of the fun has been taken out of it because it becomes like this competitive this combat sport, if you will. And it really, that's not the idea. The idea is have fun, meet new people and then fall in love. Hopefully at some point, imagine that. Um, Mm -hmm. We mentioned uh, very briefly, uh, doctor, uh, work, uh, work related dating. Um, I'm sure it still goes on because people, particularly in New York, spend so many hours at work and you're going to be surrounded by, you know, your ilk, if you will. So what's your advice for people uh, dating or not dating on the job? 
Yeah, I think right now, I think that really depends what company you're working in. I know that in New York City, there's been a, a pretty big push by most major human resources departments to kind of um, set some rules and limitations. And so I think you really need to know kind of what environment you're working in. Um, and I think it's just, you know, kind of the common sense ethical issues that you shouldn't, you know, be going after someone who is a direct report to you um, and that, you know, you're going to need to follow whatever guidelines your company has in place. I, I think, unfortunately, right now, I think it's probably a good idea to, you know, exercise some, you know, restraint unless you think yeah. you have found mm-hmm. the love of your life in a work-related setting. Um uh-huh. But I also encourage people that if that seems like it's the only place you're meeting people, then you might be working too many hours and you might need to, you know, really set some limits on some of your work time so that you can get out of the office and meet people in other uh, environments, even if that is just a conference related to your your job. You do need to get out of the office to meet other people, too. And a lot of the, in a lot of the industries, uh, you know, there's there's events you can go to and you can meet meet people who work at other country, companies or people who do business with your company, but you have to care be careful there also because you don't want to make a mess out of that. But um, you're going to meet people at work, so you have to make your decisions. And if you you have to be adult an adult about it and be smart, you don't want to date your supervisor and you don't want to date one of your underlings. And after that, you have to find the the right person who has a similar. Uh, perspective i think i dated somebody at work and uh we were at a big ad agency and we ended up living together and we didn't really talk about um let people know for a while and then she wanted to and i'm like well what's the advantage of letting people know why don't we just do our thing she was in one department i was in another department and eventually kind of people figured it out and uh, everything was fine because everybody else was dating somebody else in big ad agency so you know it can work but that was pre me too and uh so this is a different time frame, and we just have to be sensitized to what the culture is out there, and uh, you have to protect your career at all costs when you're uh, in those type of situations. So, uh, Dr. Rhodes, tell us a little bit about where um, our listeners can find you, Rapport Report, et cetera. Sure. So my website is Rapport Relationships with an S at the end dot com, and people can find me on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Jennifer B as in Boy Rhodes R H O D E S. Okay, and uh, the book again is going to uh, uh, Why Relationships Matter or Relationships Matter Most, and it's going to be out. Go ahead. Out in early twenty early twenty nineteen. Great. Well, uh, I think you're doing fantastic work, and it was a pleasure meeting you in person, and I'm so glad you came on Guys Guys Radio, and I hope you can come back when the book comes out, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Dr. Rhodes. Okay, Dr. Jennifer Rhodes on Guys Guys Radio. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be back and do our Guys Guide Guide of the Week. The Guys Guide Radio. All right, we're back. Guys, Guys Radio, Sunday, June 10th. Next week is Father's Day, so don't forget fathers. Don't forget the dads. It's going to be my first Father's Day without my dad. He was 92. He passed this year. I'm going to, I miss him, and uh, I think about him a lot. Uh, but I know he's there. I feel his energy, and, uh, and I still love him a lot. So I hope you have a good relationship with your dad. But, you know, what they say, they say we kind of choose our parents. 
And uh, so I guess I chose him for a reason, the same with my mom. So let's, um, let's shift gears to the, uh, the guy's guy's guide this week. And real quick, I've talked this about this a little bit in the past, but I want to revisit. And that's, I'm doing a blog post on my website, um, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. Um, and oh, by the way, the whole guy's guy's radio uh, came out of uh, my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. Um, which you can still get. You can pick it up on Amazon, the physical book, the ebook, and some of the other e-tailers and still in some bookstores. And then we did the uh, website, robertmanny.com, where my syndicated blog is on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, every place else. And uh, we're here for you. But um, One of the things I like to do is the guy's guy's guide. And that usually is based on a blog post on my uh, website. So this one's about 10 things that I've learned and I'm halfway through it. It's going to be a two parter because it's pretty lengthy and you know, there's a lot of uh, quick thoughts and then some deeper things. And I think I've gone pretty deep on this. So I'm going to be doing some editing, but basically here's some things that I've learned over time that I want to share with you. And you can say, Hey, that makes sense. Or you can dismiss them. It's up to you, but this is my guy's guy's guide of the week. Uh, number one, fear is a lie. Uh, we live in a culture where they pump us up through fear. If you look at the media, you watch the news, social media, just listen to people. What's going on is there's a lot of pro- proliferation of fear in our culture. And really, you don't really have to be afraid. You're going to make it. You're going to be all right. If you let fear get the upper hand, then you're going to have a problem. But listen, you're here. You're going to be here tomorrow. You just keep going. Uh, you got to put your head down and just go for it. If you have health, love, and enough cash to get by, compared to most people on this planet, you're ready, already way ahead of the game. So don't. I'm not suggesting that you settle, that we settle. No, I'm a capitalist. I have no problems with money per se, but sometimes we need to take the time to smell the flowers and not sweat the small stuff so much. You know, look in your closet. How many pairs of sneakers do you need? My point is don't let the media make you feel like you're inadequate. They tell you, you need this. You're lacking. You don't know anything. It's, it's a falsehood. You don't have to be afraid. You're a divine creature. We're all connected to the divine, to divinity. So think about that and move forward confidently. Number two, everything's connected. You know, I worked at an ad agency, and on my last day, the guy who owned the ad agency, I won't say his name, but he's fantastic, and he ended up working for New York City. He said to me, remember, everything's connected. And I thought about that and and it just stuck with me. And then I realized years later why what he said was true. And particularly when it comes to your career, every move you make is connected to the other. You just, it's all on paper there. And anybody who looks at it, any recruiter or another HR person, another job, they're going to see some of the decisions you make. And it's just uh, symbolic of how our life goes. Each decision we make impacts the next things that come up for us. We make the choices. So it's all connected. You can't, you don't have to be living in the past. Remember the decisions you make, you know, they're going to put you in a certain position. You can dismiss all that and you will always want to live in the presence present, but you have to realize that we create our own lives and we create it by the decisions we make. So everything is connected there. The third thing is forgiveness is freedom. Um, you know, those, you ever have friends who just, um, so let's put it this way. Learning to forgive is, is, is very freeing because 
you don't want to carry around all this anxiety and negativity towards people, even if they screwed you over or whatever. And I don't mean, you know, you forgive and forget. You can remember and you can know that certain people have certain behavioral traits. But if you just forgive them, it takes a huge weight because if you don't forgive people, you end up carrying that burden. So learn to forgive, learn to recognize the divinity, divinity in everybody and know that even though they might have bad actions, they're on their own road. They're going to have to learn love their own way. It's going to take time. Maybe they're not going to get it in this lifetime, but we can't be judging them. Forgive them. Keep going. If you need to avoid them and not have them in your life, fine. But forgiveness. And the second part of that is uh, learning to say, I'm sorry. Do you have friends that just won't say, I'm sorry? No, they never will admit they're wrong. Well, I do. I think everybody does. And it's like every time I hear, you know, I know somebody, they'll just never say they're sorry. They'll never admit wrongdoing. Like that's a sign of weakness. Saying you're sorry and admitting wrongdoing is a sign of strength because it makes yourself aware and you can just put yourself out there. People make mistakes. We all make mistakes every day. Now, if you're on the job, you don't want to take the hit for everything. And people do, you know, deflect. But when you're dealing in one-on-one relationships, you're dealing with friends and family, admit it when you're wrong. If you really believe you're wrong, I'm not saying say you're wrong if you're not wrong. And if so, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. I'm sorry. It's, it's freeing. It, just like forgiveness, saying I'm sorry is freeing. I say it all the time. And I realize, wow, this makes a huge difference saying, learning to say, I'm sorry, or admit you're wrong. The last thing is number five is, and there's going to be more, but let's just leave it here for now. We have more power than we think. You know, again, if you look at, you listen to the media and you listen to the news and what everybody tells us, the government and everybody else, they say, you don't know anything. We can't, you can't do anything. You need to buy this. You need to buy that. You have to have all of this and all of that. And they weigh us down with a lot of stuff. But the, the point is part of the reason we're weighed down by a lot of that stuff is that we have a lot of power. Consciousness is power. One person's consciousness thinking positive things has a ripple effect can affect thousands. And if you have thousands of people with a positive consciousness, consciousness that can affect millions. And that, that, that is scientifically proven. Consciousness does have a, a, an effect that where you can reach lots more people. So keep your consciousness high and keep yourself in an elevated state and always be positive as much as possible, of course, Um, And because it it works, it makes you strong. You have strength. Your words and your thoughts matter. When you say I am, the next thing after that is important. You can read the I am chronicles about that. But saying I am is, you know, they call who is God? God said, I am. Call me I am. So when you say I am, you're 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 stating your divinity. And whatever comes after that is something that matters. So be careful what you think and be careful what you say. Now, when it, one, one quick caveat, you know, we don't control, we have thoughts, thoughts come and go. Our brains are like processors, but we don't have control necessarily over the thoughts that come up, but we have controls as to what thoughts we're going to choose to recognize. So a lot of stuff, you can keep negative stuff out there and just keep pushing it aside. So manage your thoughts, live in the present, live kind of in that space between your eyes, right inside your head, but between your two eyes and be present. Stay there, drive yourself from there and you'll see a big difference. All right. That's our show. That's guys, guys. That's our guys, guys guide. 
This is Robert Manny. We're back on the show. We've got a very interesting show coming up uh, Wednesday. We have a guy, believe it or not, Ross Asarian. He broke his penis and he wrote a book about it. And we're going to have him on here because, you know, we like to shake things up on Guys Guys Radio and cover anything that has to do with life, love, and the pursuit of happiness as it relates to men and women being at their best. So thank you for listening. I'll see you guys on uh, Wednesday. In the meantime, all of the podcasts of Guys Guys Radio, all 290 are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Blog Talk Radio. And if you want to support the show, all I ask you to do is listen, have fun, and then if you could give us a rating and review and subscribe on iTunes, that makes a big difference and it really helps out because I'm bootstrapping this thing on my own for you guys. So thanks so much. And remember, like I always like to say at the end of the show, guys, guys, finish first.